Greetings, greetings, greetings. Today's episode is a continuation of the Queen Charlotte series, episode three, recap and review. So episode two ended with King George. We witnessed him going into a real serious shaking fit after he makes sure that his mother is not around, Queen Charlotte isn't around. The only person that is around is his most trusted servant. And his servant is like, do you want me to get your doctor? At first he says no, but then he says yeah, because he's he can't control himself at that point. So episode three opens up with Brimsley going down into the bowels of Buckingham House where the servants make everything happen. And he finds his counterpart down there, and who is the king's servant, and he asks him, like, why are you down here? And so the king's servant is like, I'm down here on an errand. Why are you down here? Brimsley says, I'm down here looking for the king, and wherever you are is where the king is. And so um, he just tells him that the king is in the library or something like that. But Brimsley lets him know it's coronation day. And even though they are not speaking, they need to be to present a united front for this um, ceremony. So apparently Queen Charlotte is not speaking to her husband after overhearing the conversation between him and his mother where he was talking pretty bad about um, why he finally spent some time and performed the marital act with his wife so um brimsley accepts the answer and he's about to leave but then a door opens up down there under the stairs as they call it and he sees the king being tended to by a strange physician so there's a royal physician that everybody uses their main doctor that doctor is not somebody he's ever seen before so he asked the king's servant what's going on? And the king's servant is just like, you didn't see anything. So they're used to like, you know, keeping secrets or whatever. So Brimsley just goes back upstairs and gets back to his queen. Then um, the, the scene goes to Violet, young Violet Bridgerton. And we see her with her governess a governess is like a private teacher it's like a nanny but it's also a teacher she teaches her um her literature her science her teaches her how to ride horses all these kinds of things right and we see that violet bridgerton is a very very inquisitive child she's very talkative she's full of questions and wonder about everything in her world and she's very curious as to why so many people celebrate the coronation day, but not her mother. Her mother celebrates, but her mother is also cynical about the day because her mother calls the day a farce. She feels like it's fake. And she also questions why her mother says that the royals had to go all the way across the world to find someone who was willing to marry the king. And that actually makes sense in real life too. Because British royalty interacted with each other. They had, you know, the eligible women that the king could marry. 
but clearly nobody was willing in real life to marry him. So they had to go find someone who was eligible, came from a royal upbringing, a noble upbringing, but wasn't aware of King George III's mental instability, his issues. So that explains a lot. Um, Violet's mother is very against the intermarrying of races. And Violet overheard her say that the king and queen being together meant that they, that now their society has been turned into an unnatural society. And that's one thing about race. White people are the, the race that is, I don't know, like, in fear of 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 mixing with other people and i'm not talking about 2023 i'm talking about historically the issue of race really came about by white people being i would say insecure about others about it's just it's just a weird thing when it comes to race like prior to um, Europe engaging in colonization and slavery of others, there wasn't any race issue. People traded and interacted, but to justify how they were treating others not like themselves, they tried to make it like if you're black or brown or Asian or anything that's not quote unquote white, you're less than. So not every white person but Violet's mother was definitely one of those. And Violet just could she was trying to understand her mother, but she really couldn't because her mother wasn't making any actual sense with her perspective. So Violet's mother telling saying that they now lived in an unnatural society because the king was married to someone of Moorish descent just didn't make sense to, to Violet. Violet wants to know what is actually unnatural and the government she's discussing this all with her governess and the governess is just like whatever you do don't mention what your mother says to anyone outside of your family so we see violet listening like she's sitting behind a couch and her parents are on the other side of the couch having a sort of conversation i say sort of because the mother is spouting her opinions and her husband is just nodding his head he's not even giving her any he just he has the newspaper up and he's there but he's not interacting he's not actively conversing with his wife so she overhears her mother saying um speaking about how she does accept the queen because the palace brought her in and she does not question the palace she is prepared to serve as one of the new queen's ladies-in-waiting. And a lady-in-waiting is a woman of noble birth who serves a female monarch as a member of the royal household. The ladies-in-waiting spend most of the day with the queen and provide her with companionship and entertainment, things like that. So she accepts the queen as her queen. And she says she, because she is the queen... That makes her special, an exception 
But the rest of them, them, the black people, <laughs> socializing with them in the ton. And I found out the ton was a word used for high society. And again, her husband is listening, but he's not giving her any kind of real feedback. He's just nodding here and there and ah, and entertaining his wife's ignorant statements. She said, I know they have money, but money doesn't make them us. What makes you you, lady? What? <laughs> when her mother says that, Violet pops up from behind the couch because she can't hold her curiosity in any longer. She's a brilliant child and her mother is just not making any actual sense. So she directs her question to her father, Daddy, the king gave them titles, did he not? And you can tell she is a complete daddy's girl right off the bat. And he asks her, he answers his daughter with, yes, beauty. How cute is that? And land? She follows with that question. And her father answers, yes, brains. How cute is that? <laughs> and he, he wants her, he encourages her to continue with her questions. And he says, why do you ask that? And it's clearly contrasting how the dad has no words for his ignorant wife and is full of conversation for his brilliant daughter. And um, she continues, Violet continues, mother said they were not us, but the king gave them the same things he gave us. All the families of the town get what they have from the king. Her mother chimes in telling her daughter that it's just not the same thing and Violet insists that it is. She tells her mother that daddy always defines a gentleman as a well-educated man from a good family. The new lords are gentlemen just like her dad. Violet's father agrees with her wholeheartedly. Violet continues on saying they are exactly like us and She's trying to help her mother understand that some of them are even more higher society than even they are as the Bridgertons because some of them came from royal families of their very own and have much more money than even they do. Violet is clearly a very observant child. <laughs> her mother demands her to just stop talking that instant and she's doing too much thinking for her mother's taste. Violet's father just gets quiet when his wife says that. His wife looks to him to like kind of support her, but he doesn't say anything else. So the mother just storms, like walks off because she's just aggravated that her daughter is talking such in such a manner and that her husband is not correcting the situation and agreeing with her ignorant statements. And then when the mother walks off, Violet looks at her dad, like wondering, you know, what's next? She's looking to her parents for guidance. And her father gives her a little wink. And of course, she smiles back. Violet is, again, most definitely a daddy's girl all the way. So we hear the, um, the voiceover of the narrator coming, um, talking about children being the cherished hope of every marriage. 
And that hope is elevated when it is a royal marriage in need of an heir. It becomes a necessity above and beyond just a hope. So we see the elder Charlotte, elder Queen Charlotte, busily supervising the setting up of royal Christmas holiday decorations. And four of her daughters are happily involved. They're in um, an area of the room where there's like a dollhouse set up. And they're super happy and they're giggling with each other. And the queen gets real aggravated by their shrieks. Like, why are you you over there making those noises? And so they tell her that they made some kind of decoration for the dollhouse. And they're super happy with it. And so the queen asks them, can you marry a dollhouse? She is so unimpressed with her daughters. Especially, well, not especially the daughters or the sons. She doesn't have nice things to say about any of the children. She's just so bitter and so mean. And she calls her daughters old with wombs that are likely dry and useless. How mean is that? She tells them, even though that may be true, that their wombs are dry and useless, they could at least still try to get a man, still try to get married. She uses herself as an example. She tells them, look at me. I am absolutely gorgeous. Style yourselves. A man might wander onto the grounds. So she says a lost hunter or something might wander onto the grounds. So one of her daughters has like some hope. Mother, can we really marry a a lost hunter? And her response is, of course not. You're not a milkmaid. What kind of... First you tell them to style themselves. A man might come and wander up there. Then you tell them if he does, they couldn't marry. What do you want from your daughters? No wonder they're not married. It's just it's <laughs> pure madness in the house. Charlotte didn't come in that way, but after years of dealing with it from her husband, her environment has influenced her in very negative ways. She's super bitter and mean. We see the young Lady Danbury preparing to go and have tea with the king's mother. Her husband is the, is in the background pacing and flustered because he has not also been invited to have tea with the king's mother. She tries to tell him because it's a lady's tea time. It's just for women to sit and have tea with each other and talk about women's things. And so he's asking her... If you're having this tea time, that means you're friends with her, right? And so Lady Danbury's like, I I guess so. So he's like, if you're friends with her, then you should ask her to let us have the first ball of the season at our new estate. He's just so into all of it. And Lady Danbury really isn't. She's doing her part in the bargain by being the ears, eyes and ears, in Buckingham House for the king's mother. But other than that, she couldn't care less about all of the the high society stuff. But her husband is all in. And she's like, well, that's not what people talk about at tea. So when he sees that she's not buying into his suggestion, his next suggestion is that then maybe you shouldn't go have tea with her Maybe you should stay home with me. 
And so her maid is helping her get dressed and she and her maid exchange looks like, you know, damn well, if you, if you stay home, he going to be all over you. <laughs> Lady Danbury changes her mind real quick. Oh, I'll ask her about possibly, um, I'll suggest that we, she allow us to have the first ball at our new estate, anything to get out of the house and not be up under her husband huffing and puffing and trying to blow her house down. Um, so yeah, uh, we see Lady Danbury having her tea time with the king's mother and telling her that the king and queen are now very happy together. After a rough start, The um, they're really happy together and the coronation ceremony has drawn them even closer together. So we also see clips of the very elaborate ceremony and they look happy and united with each other publicly. But as soon as the public ceremony is done, their private conflict is clearly still obvious. And they remove their heavy crowns and go their separate ways behind their closed doors. We see Charlotte walking the grounds with Lady Danbury saying that she hates him. She hates that he's so very polite, which is just a lie. She hates that he is such a freaking liar. Lady Dansbury does not share that part of the conversation with the king's mother. Lady Danbury does continue to encourage Queen Charlotte to keep on trying to become pregnant. That is her number one job. And Queen Charlotte says, that's all we do. Try to fill my womb with a baby. So the king and queen have agreed to perform their marital act every other day on even number days. And their main servants hold them to that promise to each other by reminding them anytime they may forget. And um, when they do what they do, they have very angry sex and they seem to enjoy it. Both of them enjoy it, but it's not like the loving passion that the that they initially enjoyed together before she found out about what she sees as a lie and you know before their miscommunication and Charlotte continuously tells Lady Danbury that she hates everything about King George his face his voice the way he breathes she actually asks him to stop breathing so loudly at their dinner table she shut he asked her to stop talking and she says she will talk as much as she feels like talking. So this is at their dinner table. Their um, servants are all around them as usual. And so they get into a bit of an argument, which turns into some more of their angry sex right there on the table in front of everybody. Um, their main servants push everybody out the room and they do what they do, breaking up stuff in the dino hall. <laughs> so, Charlotte, um, on one of the nights, on one of the even nights, we see Charlotte walk into his private bathroom and get into his bathtub. And they start getting it in right there in front of his servants. Just, they wild with it. Um, but they have a job to do, right? So, finally, Charlotte is informed that the honeymoon period is over. And her majesty is free to enjoy her life outside of trying to get pregnant. So now she can visit art galleries and go to plays and operas and do charity work. 
and she's excited about the charity work. She wants to do something for poor mothers in hospitals. And she also gets to meet her ladies-in-waiting, um, so she's excited about that. She has questions for Brimsley about formal engagements like balls and dinners and how often she'll be able to host those kinds of things at um, her home. And that's when she finds out that the king does not allow social events at his homes. She accepts that and says that they can just go out and socialize, like go to other people's functions. But Brimsley informs her that the king doesn't socialize at all. And she's confused, like maybe not in general, but at least with the nobles of high society. And Brimsley lets her know, no, he doesn't attend any social events of any kind, nothing. And she's like, why? And Brimsley is honestly, like he tells her, I don't know. That's just the way he is. So she is deeply curious as to why he doesn't, she says, like she's breaking it down to herself. He doesn't seem shy. He doesn't have a stutter or anything. He knows all of the social graces. He has a nice smile. He's tall and strong. He's handsome. He smells good. Why would he not want to be social? And then Brimsley slips and says it might have something to do with the doctor. And Charlotte was like, the doctor? What doctor? So Brimsley realizes that he has let the king's secret doctor issue slip. And he tries to retract the statement, but it's too late. Charlotte um, is not going for it. So she asked the other servants to leave. And she questions Brimsley privately, but that's all he knows that the king is being seen by a private doctor. He did let her know that it was, um, he saw the visit happening down in the cellar though. It would be different if the doctor was, you know, in his bedroom or in, you know, any place, but in the cellar, that's questionable right there. So she decides to ask the king the next time that they're together. And he came up with a quick answer saying that he was being examined because it was coronation day. And that the crown must be examined on Coronation Day. But she was also crowned on that same day. And the doctor did not examine her. And you would think the doctor would especially examine her. Because everyone is so concerned about her getting pregnant. And she brings up the fact that the examination took place in the cellar. Like a secret. And George says that's just where the examination room is located clearly lying and that's what she hates because he's not being his true self with her and this is what made her even like him when they first had an opportunity to meet each other he said he was you know this open person good conversation and now he's lying to her and she knows he's lying to her but she's like you know it is what it is so she accepts that answer saying if that is what you say that is what I must believe and then she's on her way out the door. She says that, you know, she's also living for the happiness or misery of a great nation. We're back with Lady Danbury and the king's mother and their tea time. And the king's mother wants to know if... Queen Charlotte is showing any signs of being pregnant 
Lady Danbury says she hasn't noticed any signs just yet, and the king's mother tells her to keep a sharp eye out because there is heavy pressure around the situation. Lady Danbury wants to know if the pressure is coming from Lord Butte, but the king's mother tells her to mind her business. It's none of her business where the pressure is coming from. Then she says, yes, Lord Butte. (laughs) She's so freaking mean and bitter, just like Charlotte grew to be in her in her older stage of life. And she tells Lady Danbury that the reason the pressure is so heavy for a royal baby is because a royal baby signified, signifies so much in their society. It signifies a cause for celebration among the commoners. Now, mind you, the commoners celebrating the baby outside of that environment actually doesn't make sense to say somebody like me because why am I celebrating your baby your abundance you have that abundance because all of us have not have not that abundance we have we live in lack and we take everything we have and we give it all in support of your family it's just it's you know but it's their tradition it's their way of life so A real baby is a cause for celebration among the commoners, a sign of love to all that ensures the succession of the bloodline. And it's just, I ain't with it, but again, that's their society, their tradition. She says a baby seals the great experiment. Now that is important to, of course, the king's mother, the king, and also Lady Danbury. So... When she says that a royal baby um, seals the deal for a great experiment, Lady Danbury sees an opportunity to speak about the ball, as her husband suggested that she do, because a ball would certainly help make the great experiment be the success that they all want and need it to be. She confidently states that she and Lord Danbury would like to host the very first ball of the season. Now, Lady Danbury just got on. She just got their titles. Well, they just got their titles, their estate, their land. And even though though they had money before, they weren't accepted as part of the high society. Their money could not buy their way into where she's at now, their position. So now that they're in that position, yes, go hard, Lady Danbury, go hard. So the king's mother's like, what? The first ball of the season with you? (laughs) She gave her a straight up no. That because she just felt like that would not be accepted. And because she doesn't accept it. Because just like she convinced everybody else to accept Queen Charlotte and her brown skin. She could have made it the same way she stated. The king said this should be blah, blah, blah. The same thing. But um, she said no. And that was it. So taking no for an answer is just not Lady Danbury's style. Not at all. Not not even at her young stage and age in life. So she tells the king's mother that she's sure she would like these tea times to continue so that she could continue sharing her information um, from the Buckingham house. Because... If she can't get what she wants, she can't give what the king's mother wants. So the king's mother said she will take up the matter with Lord Lord Butte. 
So Lady Dansbury goes home where she has to endure <laughs> another um another sexual encounter with her old husband. And she looks like she's just watching TV, even though there's no TV in there. But she's just laying there, looking at the walls, like, ah. And he does what he does. And after he's finished doing what he does, he asks her, um, what was the king's mother's response when it comes to, uh, when it came to the question about the ball? And Lady Danbury tells him that the king's mother wasn't very enthusiastic about them hosting the first ball of the season. And you can hear it in his voice. He feels like the ball's not going to happen at all. He says, they dangle joy in front of me and never let me grasp it. But joy is not something you'd ask permission for because even if they gave him everything he they, that he thinks he wants... They, nobody can give you joy. It comes from the inside out. And even I feel sad for him at that statement. He sees his worth outside of outside of himself as if everybody else can create joy. But real joy is on the inside. There are opportunities for joy every day. But he's waiting for them and they to give him permission to be a part of their joy instead of just creating his own which he's very capable of doing. So Lady Danbury feels bad for her husband and she turns to him and encourages him with very kind words telling him that he is every bit as good as they are. But are they good? Are they? Really? Or do they just appear to be? Because a lot of what their story is looking like is like is quite miserable really happiness is an inside job no matter who you are lady danbury decides to get on her grind she's about to make this ball happen by any means necessary. She plans to send out invites and her maid is surprised to hear this bit of news because she's first of all surprised that the king's mother gave her the permission she needed to send the invites out. But she let her maid know that she didn't get permission and she's sending out the invites anyway. And so we the viewer get a glimpse of what she's going to become as she gets older, even though she's in British society and they're not necessarily accepting of a deeply brown-skinned, fully black woman of confidence and nobility like she is, she's destined to become who she is anyway. So we see the elder Lady Danbury encounter an older Violet Bridgerton at church unexpectedly, and Violet is lighting candles in honor of the memory of her late husband. It is his birthday that day, and Violet is very emotional. She's clearly missing her husband. His birthday was a special day for the both of them, and she spoke of sharing her father's tradition of making birthday hats 
with her husband and her husband liked it so much he would wear the hat literally all day and she said he looked crazy with it on but they enjoyed it very much she said that she doesn't like that particular day because it reminds her that there are no more birthday hats to make and when she says that lady danbury has like a a weird response to that statement by saying you are very fortunate so violet is like did you did i mishear you did you say fortunate and lady danbury says yes you are most fortunate and violet's like what and then she walks away she walks away it just was that was a weird statement i don't get that um but then we see a very young violet it's a flashback to when she was a child and she was wearing one of those handmade birthday hats made just for her by her father and she and her father are in their either parlor or their living room just enjoying time together and all of a sudden they hear a shriek as her mother comes rushing into the room talking about Lady Dansbury Lady Danbury sent out an invitation she wants to throw the first ball of the season she is too upset about that. And Violet's excited, like, oh, can I go? And her mother looks at her like, are you crazy? First of all, you're not old enough. But even if you were, you will never go to that woman's house for any reason. And so then she storms back out the room. And Violet and her father are just like, oh, she's so ignorant. But anyway, <laughs> we see... um the ladies in waiting together and they're sitting with the queen in her home listening to a young Mozart play the piano so while that's going on Violet's mother is like what kind of name is Mozart for a child where is he from what kind of musical taste does she have and Lady Danbury overhears her supposed whisper clears her throat <coughs> doesn't the queen have great musical taste and the rest of them yes the queen is amazing excellent taste in music so lady danbury always looking out for the queen and she knows that they're going to be extra critical of her just to be extra critical of her because she has some black in her and lady danbury is you know she got her back she got the queen's back so the queen finds herself distracted from the music being plays, be played because she hears her husband's voice coming from outside. So she rushes to the window and she sees him walking to the garden with no shirt on. And there's one of his servants is with him with a basket and a shovel. And she's like, what is my husband doing? So while the queen is at the window distracted from the music, the... um. Ladies-in-waiting, particularly Violet's mother, takes that opportunity to let Lady Danbury know, I received your little invitation. And so Lady Danbury smiles, like, okay, this is going well. And then Violet's mother lets her know, it's a shame I won't be able to attend. And once Violet's mother starts that, then the other ladies-in-waiting are like, yeah, it's such a shame. I won't be able, be able to attend. Maybe next time. So, uh, Lady Danbury finally 
feels what her husband has been talking about. Like being accepted in the most surface kind of ways, but really not being accepted and being denied and rejected. Um, And the feeling is uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. Meanwhile, Charlotte has her face pressed, literally pressed up against the window, trying to see what her husband is up to. The servant that is with him is carrying like that shovel in that basket and she she really needs to find out what's going on. So she makes sure that she is in his chambers when he comes back into the house. And he's like, why are you in my room? It's not an even day. And she agrees. No, it's not an even day. And so he tells her, now mind you, he's all sweaty. You can tell he's been like doing some physical activity. And um, he's like, I require some privacy. And she was like, what are you about? She wants to know why he does not socialize, why he chooses not to socialize with anyone. He says because he has duties to attend to. And she wants to know what those duties are because they are not like any other king she has known before. She wants to know how he spends his days. So he says farming. She wants to know more. He says, I told you I enjoy science and My science includes agriculture. He says he's King George, Farmer George. So she repeats, King George, Farmer George. And he smiles at that. He likes that. And he shows her his hands. And he says, these are the hands of a king and a farmer. And she smiles because she feels his honesty. And what she didn't like was his dishonesty. She really didn't like it. And she knew that answer was really authentic. And so we see her visiting the garden, trying to figure out the work that's there, wondering if there are any medicinal herbs there. And Brimsley tells her, no, it's just vegetables growing there. And their garden is really nice, by the way. So we get to see Lord Butte, because this ball thing... They're not having it. The society, the high society Brits, they're not having any parts of that. And so Lord Butte is leading the charge against the ball. He's extremely upset. He's on his feet. Everybody else is sitting down, but he's on his feet. And he is asking the king's mother about allowing the invites to go out. Like, how did you let that happen? She assures Lord Butte that she is on top of the situation. And he's like, whatever, whatever you're saying, the ton will not attend. Society is not going about our side of society is not about to attend uh, a ball at Lady Danbury's house. Parliament is very upset. The wives are arguing with their husbands. Like, how, how does she get to send out an invitation, you know we're not going to that. So it's a whole bunch of upsetness going on because a black woman had the nerve to want to throw a ball. And it is suggested that Lady Danbury be made to withdraw the invitations. And the king's mother says she can't do that because Lady Danbury wouldn't like that. And Lord Butte is like, does Lady Danbury have the upper hand? And the king's mother says, 
for the sake of the great experiment. I don't want to be seen as choosing any sides. And Lord Butte is, he doesn't care about any of that. He says, Lady Dan, if Lady Danbury throws that ball, their side, because they refer to, um, I guess, the sides, well, not even guess, clearly the sides are black and white. Clearly. Um, and Lord Butte says, if Lady Danbury is allowed to throw that ball, their side will not attend. The palace will lose all moral authenticity. And the great experiment will ultimately fail. He is adamant that Lady Danbury be made to cancel that ball. So Lady Danbury is seen paying Queen Charlotte a visit. And Queen Charlotte is like, we'll meet after lunch. And Queen Charlotte is at the window again, trying to watch her husband, trying to figure out her husband. And Queen Charlotte says that um, Lady Danbury's ball is a delightful idea, but she's not really, she's listening to Lady Danbury, but she's really caught up in trying to see what her husband is doing. And Lady Danbury is saying that um, her life is not the same as all the rest of the black people that are there. She doesn't say it like that, but Queen Charlotte is basically detached from her blackness. She's aware of it, but she's very detached from it because she's the queen. She doesn't have to live the day-to-day that they do. She doesn't have to worry about being rejected or accepted. She's the queen. She doesn't have to deal with that. So Lady Danbury is trying to be uh, easy with the way that she's approaching her about the ball, but she needs the queen's help. She needs the queen. She knows that the queen will not attend because the king does not accept any social engagements, but she wants the queen to ask the rest of the ladies-in-waiting to attend her ball. So Queen Charlotte is like, did you send them an invitation? And she was like, yes. So then Queen Charlotte is like, what's the issue? So as Lady Danbury is trying to explain what's going on, Charlotte catches a glimpse of her husband and she just loses all focus. The ball, she don't care about the ball. I'm trying to see what my husband is doing. And she's like, is he guarding with his own hands? Lady Danbury tries to bring the conversation back to the ball. And Charlotte is laser focused on George being in the garden. And she's like questioning out loud. We have people to do that. I think he's really digging in the garden. Why would he do that? Lady Danbury is so flustered by the frivolousness of Charlotte's focus that she moves up on her like, your highness, your majesty. And Queen Charlotte is like, what are you doing? And Lady Danbury lets her know the king's mother has asked her to cancel her ball. And Queen Charlotte is like, what does that have to do with me? She's just really oblivious to what that has to do with her. And so Lady Danbury lets her know. It's like, you're you're the queen. You are the queen. It's not, Charlotte's like, if his mother said no, and Lady Danbury lets her know, it's not up to her. You get to say, you are the queen. 
You may feel like this is beneath you, like the ball is not your concern. But if you were not the queen and Queen Charlotte cuts her off, but I am, I am the queen. Lady Danbury continues, but if you were not the queen, your life here in Britain would be very different. It would be like ours. You know, this is, Lady Danbury just have to, just has to get really, really real with her and remind her again, she has said it before, you are the first of your kind. You becoming queen has opened certain doors that were closed to us before. The black lords and ladies are new to this British society. Do you see us? She asked this to the queen face to face. Do you see us? Do you see what you mean to us? She tells the queen to consummate, to become with child, to endure for a reason. Not just to be talking, not just for conversation's sake. And then she gets extra real with her. She tells the queen, you are so preoccupied with whether or not that man likes you. Like you're some little simpering girl. You are the queen. You are our queen. Your focus should be your country, your people, our side. You hold our lives in your hand. Charlotte was truly detached from her heritage, aware of it, very aware of it. But it didn't really matter to her, so she was detached from it. And Lady Danbury says, your palace walls are too high. And walks away. And Charlotte's just looking like, wow. Charlotte is going about her day after that. She picked her own orange. She spends time rubbing her tummy, perhaps pregnant and it was an even day so she went to spend the evening with her husband and after their regular get pregnant activities he tells her good night I shall see you again the day after tomorrow but Charlotte decides to instigate a different kind of conversation she brings up his statement you live for the happiness and the misery of a great nation and he just starts getting frustrated because he doesn't want to argue and he feels like that's the in- introduction to an argument but she says no I want to tell you that I understand that statement it must be exhausting and lonely to live like that she understands he must feel like a caged person she understands why he spends so much time in the garden And he confirms that in the garden, he's a regular man. She calls him Farmer George. And he asks her not to feel sorry for him because that's all he knows. And he's fine with it. He doesn't know of any other type of life. He doesn't know anything else. He's always been an exhibit for others instead of an actual person. And she tells him that you are a person to me. She's like rubbing his face very gently 
you're a person to me. You can be a person with me. And so you see the loving passion return to their relationship. When the understanding comes in, the loving passion returns as well. And she tells him, no more even in our days. And George happily agrees. No more even in our days. We shall just have days. And then she says that he doesn't owe her anything because she's been angry with him ever since she heard him talking about her to his mother. And she's been, that's it. We just have sex. Try to get me pregnant. That's it. And they haven't been really interacting. But now, you know, that they've decided to have their days together, she said he doesn't owe her anything, but she would like them to do something together. And he asks her, what is it? What do you need? And she echoes the words of Lady Danbury. Our palace walls are too high. They are both caged in. And then we see Lord and Lady Danbury getting ready for their ball. Everything's being set up. They are prepared to welcome their guests. Lord Danbury is so worried that nobody will come. But people do come. The first ones to come are Violet's parents. Lord and Lady Ledger, Violet's father, let Lady Danbury know that his wife was definitely not going to come, but she changed her mind when she got a personal handwritten note from the king. The king is planning to attend. He said his wife's head would have burst into flames if she missed the social event of the season. He told Lady Danbury that he likes her and this was a job well done. He told her that they should be friends. And he's a very pleasant man, very pleasant man. Um, while they were talking, Lord Danbury walked up and then Lord Ledger was like, how can I get you to come to one of my hunts? And so you know that made Lord Danbury's day. <laughs> So everybody shows up. The king's mother shows up. Everyone is there. No one is mingling, but they are in attendance. Then the queen and the king show up. And the king's mother is so happy to see her son acting normal. Violet's father reaches out to Lady Danbury. First, he asks Lord Danbury if he minds if he has a dance with Lady Danbury. So the king and queen are already on the floor doing their dance. Um, Lord Ledger takes Lady Danbury's hand and they get on the floor and then you start seeing different people mixing and mingling and it's very nice to see both sides dancing together. And the ball is an absolute success. The king's mother is through the roof hat through the roof through the roof, happy, and her heart is very full, seeing her son actually being happy. The queen, Queen Charlotte, thanks her king, and he says, you never have to thank me. We are a team, and she nods in agreement. Lord Dansbury, Lord Danbury is beyond happy. He's like, just through the roof, but his heart is super full. Lady Danbury says, we are a success. His ass going to say, yes, indeed, I 
am a success. So we see King George as well after the ball. They're at home and he's in his wife's chambers and her servants are undressing her. And he says that she needs an overcoat. And she was like, why? I'm in my bedroom. He says, because you're going to spend, we're going to get something to eat and you're going to spend the night with me. So there's, everybody's is really happy. The ball was really a success. Everybody was in a very happy mood. And um, Lady Danbury herself, she, her husband is overexcited. So when he gets overexcited, she got to deal with his sexual energy. And he's just going in. And she's like, oh, my God. And then all of a sudden, his overexcitedness is just too much. And he literally just drops dead while having sex. Literally. But Lady Danbury, I mean, she's not... I ain't going to say she's not happy about it. Because... She's been waiting this her entire, waiting for this her entire married life. She's She knew he was going to die before her because he's way older than her. And that was the night. And it, it was good for him to have at least been invited to a hunt at that point. And just to, to experience the ball the way he got to experience before he passed. It would have been nice if he could have been a little bit more appreciative of his beautiful wife, but you know, life, right? So she lets her maid know what happened. They have a little celebration. They say, we're done. (laughs) And they hug each other before she goes back in to like make pretend she's upset. You have to make pretend that you're sad that somebody passes, whether or not you really care. So we see the elder Lady Danbury sitting down uh, to tea with Violet. Violet has been avoiding her ever since that awkward meetup at the church because Lady Danbury saying she was fortunate was really kind of messed up. And this is the first time that they're together after that. Violet is clearly upset. She is still very offended by the you are fortunate comments. And Lady Danbury shares that she was at the church to fund a school for orphan girls. And Violet says how noble, extremely sarcastic about it. And Lady Danbury shares that the school is being built in honor of her husband, although he disdained orphans, all poor people. She explains that the reason that she said that Violet was fortunate was because Violet had love for her husband. And in her loving, her husband, Edmund, lives on in her heart in a loving way. While, meanwhile, Lady Agatha loathed her husband. She did not like him. And her loathing resides in her heart. And she funds that school out of revenge. But I understand that she went through a lot with that man. But he's dead and gone. At this point, she's elderly. She's in her 60s or whatever. And she's still holding on to that bitterness. I mean, how he's gone. She can choose to let it go. She's 
she's choosing bitterness. She doesn't have to choose to be envious of somebody else's ability to love. She can choose love in her own heart, but she's not. She's choosing bitterness. And she tells uh, Violet that your heart is full and mine is starving. But again, that's actually a choice. So we see them like laughing after that and having an understanding and they're back to being friendly with each other. We see the elder Queen Charlotte and her faithful Brimsley contemplating why her daughters have never married. And Brimsley is, of course, hesitant to really give his opinion at first because it's the queen, even though at this point she's older, 50s, 60s. I don't know how old she is, but he's up there, too. They're both older. They've been around each other for years, but he's still her servant. And so speaking freely is not necessarily what they do in their society. But she presses Brimsley for an honest answer as to why he thinks that her daughters never got married. Because, again, he's been around the children their entire lives. He knows them inside and out. So Brimsley finally gives his perspective. He said that the the king... The king's situation happened when he was so young and it would have been different if he died. Like Violet's husband died. Um, Lady Danbury's husband died. So they got to choose whether like how they carry on with their life. Meanwhile, Queen Charlotte's husband didn't die. He was taken away from her in a different way. He's in a different kind of reality. If he would have died, perhaps she could have gone on with her life in a different way. But she's kind of frozen in time as his queen. She still belongs to him. And he feels like her daughters never got married because they didn't want to leave their mom just there, this frozen queen. And you can tell she's very affected by his words. And she doesn't want to cry. So she tells him to go stand over there and don't look my way. And then the scene closes out. The episode ends. We see a young Queen Charlotte um, in her husband's bed. But she wakes up alone and she hears some kind of scratching. And she hears mumbling and scratching. And so she gets a lamp but she goes looking for George because he's not in the bed beside her. And she finds him scribbling on the wall, talking to himself in gibberish. And she keeps calling him George. And he looks at her, but he don't see her. He's in some kind of state of mind that she can't reach him. But she keeps saying George. And she, she like, breaks his concentration about whatever he was writing on the wall. He starts walking, walking through the house. It is cold. He don't have no shoes on. So she's following him, George, George, George. And so, of course, the servants are around. They're, they're asleep, but they're around. So um, Brimsley comes out and um, eventually uh, King George's main servant comes out. He tells Brimsley, lock the servants in. Don't let anyone see him. I got this. So 
Charlotte is out there. First, his servant is trying to talk to him, trying to get him to come inside. At this point, George is naked in the garden, is freezing out there. He's yelling at the sky, saying, Venus, calling for Venus or whatever. So Charlotte is looking at him. She's not upset. She's not afraid. She's being extremely patient. And she hears his servant trying to get him to come inside. But then she gives her her try to it. She tells George that she's Venus. And then George looks at her. She calls him Farmer George. That's how she gets his attention. Farmer George. And when she says that, he turns. He really identifies with that part of him. And... She tells him to uh, come inside. I am Venus. I am with you. Come inside with me. And he looks at her and he was like, I thought you were in the sky. She said, I was. And now I'm here next to you and I'm going inside. Come inside with me. And he follows her inside.